Bienvenue! Welcome back, coffee book lovers! We are returning to The Curious Barista's Guide to Coffee by Tristan Stevenson in the middle of page 29 today. Let's dig in. The Coffee Borer Beetle Hypothenemus Hampe, also known as the Coffee Weevil or Gorgojo del Café, is coffee's single greatest natural predator. Native to Western Africa, the adult mites grow to 1.5 milliliters or 1 16th of an inch in length, and unlike the rest of the insect world, are undeterred by the presence of caffeine in the coffee fruit. The beasts bore into the fruit and build tiny egg chambers, which subsequently hatch larvae inside the coffee seed. Females fly around colonizing additional plants and males lurk about ready to perform their part in the process, never even needing to leave the fruit. If left unchecked, the activities of the beetle can devastate entire harvests, with some estimates claiming the total annual global losses to be in excess of 315 million pounds or 500 million American dollars. Preventative measures include pesticides, but as with fungicides used against coffee, leaf rust, there are associated costs and protocols that must be followed, along with environmental considerations. Traps are the most common means of dealing with the borer. Usually homemade, they may comprise a large red container, posing as a giant coffee cherry, with an ethanol solution lure inside it. An even better solution is to let another bug do the work for you. Say hello to Carniotherps flavipes, a type of thrip that is one of the only known natural predators of the coffee weevil. It's early days, but there's evidence to suggest that increasing the thrip population in weevil territory might be effective in keeping the parasite in check. Processing coffee. The way a coffee is processed before shipping sets the precedent for the style of coffee that will eventually leave the roaster. This stage of the coffee bean's life is sometimes referred to as wet milling and encompasses all the various steps that occur from when the coffee is picked right up until it is dry milled and loaded into bags for transportation. Processing practices vary considerably from between regions and farms sometimes because it is simply the way it is done, and other times on account of the limitations of economy or resources. In some circumstances, like in Burundi, farmers hand over their picked cherries to one of the 150 government-operated washing stations called Sogastals for further processing. In other countries, on other farms, all of the processing is done by the farmer. This seemingly routine stage in the de development of the coffee is far from inconsequential, however, because the effectiveness of these local interpretations open up new expressions of flavor in the coffee bean, bringing distinction to the coffee's natural profile in a way that is specific to each farm or processing facility. Screening is usually conducted in a water tank where overripe fruit and very underripe fruit, along with leaves and sticks, will float. The ripe and underripe and underripe fruit sinks to the bottom and is then piped out ready for the next stage. However, irrespective of how meticulously the coffee has been harvested, underripe and overripe cherries are more or less inevitable. Excessively over or underripe fruit will, like any other fruit, result in a bad tasting product. This is not something that a good roaster can cover up. Fruit that is perhaps only slightly underripe or overripe may meet the minimum requirements of the exporter and roaster 
but cup quality will ultimately suffer as it is the perfectly ripe fruit that contains the most sucrose and results in the sweeter cup. Be it the finest specialty coffee known to man or the most deplorable coffee fruit destined for jars of instant, one way or another, the coffee beans need to be removed from their fruity shell and cleaned of their slimy cherry mucilage. This is usually done in one of two ways, by wet or washed processing or natural dry processing. Some, con some countries or regions prefer to use one method over the other and, other and others process using a combination of both techniques which is known as pulped natural or semi-washed. Natural coffee. Naturally processed coffee is a relatively straightforward process as all its various layers are left intact. The fruit is sent to a patio or a raised drying bed for drying and where relevant ripening. This process can take many weeks and care must be taken to avoid mold and rot, but some natural fermentation is normal. After the fruit has fully dried, its dark, shriveled form must then be hauled, or peeled, to reveal the beans patiently waiting inside. Brazil is the spiritual home of naturally processed coffee, where the economic culture of coffee has bred a pick-now-sort-later approach. With the likes of Sao Paulo State and the Cerrado region naturally processing over 90% of their coffee. Naturally processed coffee is non-interventional, self-contained, and, well, natural, which gives the resulting coffee its dirty, heavy, and wild, often to the point of wacky, fruit notes. The capricious brilliance of dry processed coffee can yield inconsistent results, however, and the clarity of the cup can be lost. It is for this reason that some roasters choose to avoid it altogether. But what it lost in finesse can be made up in body and density, which is why naturals often play important supporting roles in some of the world's best espresso blends. Washed coffee. Washed coffee, also known as wet processed coffee, sees the whole cherry get pulped, either mechanically by what is effectively a large blender, or by jets of high pressure water. Either way, the cherry is split and squeezed, forcing the beans through a separate aperture. If you really wanted to, you could pulp cherries by hand. But from personal experience, I can tell you that it is slow, messy, and thankless. Pulping only deals with the soft flesh of the cherry. There's still the mucilage that coats the bean to contend with, and like the last slimy bits you get on a peach stone, it turns out it is highly resilient stuff. The tenacity of mucilage is attributed mostly to its combination of sugars and pectin, the latter of which acts both as a binding agent that is common in many fruits, and also as the gelling agent used to thicken marmalades and preserves. Removal of the mucilage is ordinarily done by way of fermentation, which in fact refers to a broader process of microbial growth rather than the action of yeast and sugar in the absence of oxygen, as is the case with brewing. During its time spent in fermentation tanks, the pectin in the mucilage is broken down through the activity of enzymes, and the environment becomes more acidic. The length of fermentation depends on a number of factors, not least of which is temperature and the volume of coffee being processed. Experience and a good feel of the seeds will tell you when the operation has run its course. Fermentation is not just about removing mucilage though, it's also an exercise in coffee flavor development. And when timed well, it can produce a level of clean acidity that natural coffee can only dream of. 
After some washing to remove any excess mucilage, the beans are sent for drying on raised beds or concrete floors for around a week. Despite the positive reputation that wet processing possesses, it is in itself no assurance of quality. Fermentation can be unpredictable, particularly since it relies solely on microorganisms that are naturally present on the fruit and or in the water. Defective beans are not uncommon, and most infamous of all is the stinker, a, a bean that produces a particularly unpleasant taste. This can easily damage many kilograms of roasted coffee if they are permitted to pass along the production chain. There are, of course, numerous variations of wet processing specific to different countries and regions, too. In Kenya, for example, it is common for two fermentations to take place, with an intermediate wash in the middle. This has been cited as one of the reasons for Kenya's incredibly bright and fruity coffees. For farmers, the decision to dry or wet process is mostly one of economics. Wet processed coffee is widely recognized as a superior product, but it requires huge quantities of water, numerous tanks, decent plumbing, and other pieces of specialist equipment. Incidentally, it is also for this reason that most robusta coffee is processed naturally because there's little point in wasting resources on improving a fundamentally inferior product. Thank you for listening. We'll leave off today in the middle of page 32. See you next morning.